Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. Let's try that again, man. Y'all are just not here, I'm saying. Good morning, church. That's a little better. What a blessing to be here today. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Barrett, leadership. Thank you guys for uh, the invite. Thanks for the opportunity. I see you back there. Um, Special place uh, that this ICC holds in my heart, not just because of uh, it being the first church that uh, God called us to plant, um, difficult church, heartbreaking church. Uh, y'all still, I, I assume y'all probably still experienced the flush is what we called it. I don't know if y'all, did anybody know what, what I mean when, I know you know what I mean. The flush, you know, uh, that's in May when everybody leaves because they uh, are, have graduated or they're moving on. Uh, if you could imagine going from 30 down to 10, going from 50 down to 20, going from 80 down to 20 every year, the pain of seeing that until you realize that you're not losing people, you're sending people. Um, it's a special place. You know, it's 20 years in October. 20 years in October. I look around the room and I'm like, man, y'all are diapers. <laughs> There's the first greeter that we had at the church. Um, she was in a baby carrier. Uh, new dad forgot that she was even in the room. Um, setting up the room, shoved all the bulletins in between her leg and the uh, car seat, forgot she was at the front door, went on about my business. Everybody said, that was a great idea, putting those bulletins in that, uh, right next to that newborn baby. I was like, yeah, plan that. <laughs> plan that. It worked out great because they walked in and said, oh, baby, oh, bulletin. So it worked out great, but no. This, uh, this church established a pattern for our lives. Um, you know, it's interesting, the worth it and the worthiness of Jesus Christ and the worthiness of God and his glory. Um, what I'm going to talk about here in a little bit is uh, very simple. You can't measure worthiness or is it worth it until after the action is done. We're 20 years past. I can tell you it was worth it then. It's worth it now. I look out on this room um, and the, the glory that God has gained uh, from this population, from this community, and from all the network and the, the, the lines of relationships that have been formed across the world is stellar. It is amazing. Um, never would we have thought that that was what was going to happen years ago, but it didn't really matter. And uh, if you pick up something today, I hope that you pick up that. It doesn't really matter what happens on the back side. What matters is the obedience on the front side. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, if you weren't here last week, that I wanna encourage you to go to your, your, your um, YouTube page or whatever page you guys have uh, and listen to, to Barrett's message from last week. He did a wonderful job of casting uh, the, uh, of the, the vision, the, the perspective for this series, worth it. 
Um, it was a wonderful sermon. I do like the fact that, you know, it's, y'all have a good verse this year, 2024. I mean, Barrett, that was awesome. That was perfect. I mean, Acts 2024 and 2024, I mean, that's just, that's wonderful. Uh, y'all go back and, and watch that because it was, it was, it was greatly framed how this worth it is, um, this perspective is going to be in the, in the church for this go week. Uh, when he first said something uh, to me back in like November, I was, I was like, uh, I don't like the idea of is it worth it? And so I, I love that it's worth it because the way it was cast was different. Here's what, here's what he said. I, I wrote this down in uh, a sermon. He said, in essence, the desire is that all people will walk away realizing that all global missions, all global missions investments from praying, giving, going, welcoming to sending, everything, all of that indeed are worth it. I like that the leadership didn't ask the question, is it worth it? They just made a statement. They made a, 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 a propositional uh, purpose-based statement to say it is worth it. It is worth it. So leadership is rightly telling you, hey, this, this is worth it. Uh, global outreach is worth it. Uh, and then they're saying, you know, let me, let me tell you why and let me tell you how. Let me coordinate all that together so you can have a picture of why it's worth it to you. So that being said, the propositional truth is it is worth it. That's what you, you heard uh, Barrett say last week. That's what you're going to hear me say today. There's no doubt that it is worth it. Um, and we're going to say that from the pulpit today. Uh, you're going to hear it all the time. It is worth it. But it doesn't really matter what you hear from this pulpit. Uh, what matters is that you have this solution settled within your mind and within your soul. What I say, what Barrett says, what comes from this pulpit, what is taught here, doesn't really matter until you catch it, you absorb it, and it becomes your story. My story doesn't matter to you. My story doesn't matter to you. You might be a part of that, but it doesn't matter. You have to realize it within your own heart, within your own mind, within your own soul. Whenever that happens, then it becomes your story. So here's my task for today. My task is to inform you of God's word, to inspire you to see a larger vision for your own life, and then to compel you to attempt great things for God. Now, I'm stealing that from William Carey because I love the guy. Uh, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, but attempt great things for God. So that's my task. Uh, I never have enough time. Uh, people that sit in my sermons will tell you that they feel like they have, I have enough time, but I've never feel like I have enough time. So, uh, I'm going to jump right into it and I'm going to read our key passage for the day. Uh, and we're going to develop this topic. Here's the topic. Here's the title. Worth it. Uh, practicing radical faith for an unknown future. Now, uh, what I'm talking about here is a physical future. And I'll clarify that later because we know that there's a spiritual future, an eternal future that is the true reality. But when we look at um, propositional truths and when we, you'll see what I, how I develop it, but uh, there's an unknown future of physical future, not of eternal. But faith, uh, when you practice that radical faith, you're doing it in spite of an unknown physical future, all right? So here's the passage that we're going to go through today. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and then an ellipses, because I'm not going to read 40 verses, 39 and 40. Here's what, here's what God's Word says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Skipping to 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, 
since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. God, you're an incredible God. It's a silly question to ask if you are worth it because you are worth it. You are worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of all glory. You're worthy of everything. You hold value in yourself. You're the definition of worth and value. I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to offer. I, I am stunned that you would pick fleshly bodies to proclaim your glory. Even more shocked that I would be in this position. God, I have nothing to offer, but yet you've put me here, so I pick up the mantle with honor to honor you and to glorify you. God, if there's anything in my mind that, that you would not have informed me with, God, I pray you would take it out of my mind. If there's any word that would drop out of my mouth that's not of you, that you would change it in mid-sentence. God, I pray that the words that we hear are the words that you have ready for us, that you would penetrate those words into our heart, that it would pulse throughout our bodies, that it would take control of our hands and our feet so that we leave this place different than what we came in. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that really redounds to anything of value. But the smallest thing that we do for you, I know, holds great worth because it glorifies you. I love you. This is your time. This is your people. This is your message. Do with it as you wish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the beginning of... This passage is often used, many of you probably know the passage, because it gives us a definition of faith. It's, I mean, it's, it's a very common passage. However, the back end of the passage, you know, you read through this, if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, you see this hall of faith, all these different people, all these different names, all the things that they did, all the things that are said about them. And a lot of times people, I think, probably get tired by the time they get to the end. And even as you see the writer, as he wrote, he's very specific at the beginning, and then he says, it's almost like he gets tired. It's like, and what else should I say? I mean, there's all these other people that did all these other things. Am I going to tell you about how they got sawn in two? Am I going to tell you about how they got you know, all the stuff that happened to them? And so he, he says there's an incredible amount of stuff that happened. And then he gets down to the end. And a lot of times by the time we read it and by the time we preach it, the application is oftentimes disconnected from the, from the beginning, uh, at least in part, if not completely. And so what I want us to do, that's why I put the ellipses, because I want to get the first part of that definition and then get to the back part of it so we can develop this idea. So what I want to do, I want us to consider this passage as we examine the life of Barnabas, all right, this guy. He happens to be my favorite hero of the faith. I love Barnabas. Um, and don't, not to be confused with Barney, I think that's, a, I never have understood clean up, clean up every, I mean, I like that, but um, Barnabas is like, is my hero, uh, and I'll develop that a little bit as we go, but I, I want us to allow Scripture to inspire us as we, as we go through the passage, but it needs to compel us as well. It's not true inspiration unless you're compelled to respond to what God has said. So it needs to compel us into action for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about it in a global context, but I'm also talking about it in your local context with your individual relationships, no matter if you're at school, you're, you're at work, you're, you're on the greenway, if you're walking, you're running, wherever you happen to be, that it would compel you to act and to speak the words of Jesus Christ. All right, are y'all on board? Y'all good? That's pretty cool. It's like it started over here and it's like, 
Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so good. All right, so here, here we go. We're, we're going to walk through. Um, and like I said, we're going to talk about some of my hero of the faith. There's so many heroes of the faith, though. And as I, as I look even at the Hall of Faith, there's so many of them listed there. But do you realize how few we actually retain to this day? The, the heroes of the faith, are, they're, they're, they're diminished into nothingness. They're, they're, they disappear from all of history. There's a poet, his name was Horace. Um, he's a Latin poet. He lived at the time of Jesus, actually. And he wrote this. He said, in endless night they sleep unwept unknown. No bard had they to make all their time their own. Now, anybody know what a bard is? I, I, I know that you, some of you are going to know because this is a popular thing. Bard. What's bard? What? Bard singer? Okay, singer, musician. Come on, Google, chat GPT. Come on, come on, come on. Bard is the, the new Google chat GPT, right? Bard, the word bard means storyteller. What Horace was saying was they didn't have a storyteller to tell the story, so therefore their memory is gone. It's all wiped away. So hundreds of all these, for him, for Horace, he was talking about the, the warriors, the great warriors of old. They didn't have anybody to write their story, so therefore their memory is gone. We have some of the same ideas with, with the, history, with the, the um, patriarchs, with the, the heroes of the faith. If they didn't write their story, then their memory is gone. So you look at the, the thousands, the millions of, of heroes of the faith that we have in our We know nothing about them. They died in obscurity. They died in anonymity. The only one who knows their name is God. It's incredible. Now, my question is, is that an unnerving concept to you? In a day and age, whenever likes are everything, when friends mount up by the thousands, but yet you don't know anybody, when clicking is your relationship, is it unnerving to think that you would die in obscurity, anonymity, and no one would ever know your name? A generation later, you're gone. The only one who knows your name is God. It can be, unner it's, it can be unnerving. Maybe some, some people would say, well, if it doesn't do something like popular for me, then maybe I'd pull back from the call that God has on my life. So here's what I intend to get across for us today. The worth of that propositional truth is only proven on the other side of the effort, okay? The worth and propositional truth is only proven on the other side of the effort. So I'm gonna encourage you today. Uh, I have a different form of encouragement than most people appreciate sometimes because it's called pushing and beating on you, all right? That's the way I encourage. I encourage my children by inspiring them. Now that happens to be a five-gallon paint stick named inspiration, all right? So I inspire in a different way by pushing on you. If I love you, I will push on you. So whenever you, if you feel like I'm stepping on your feet, that's okay, that just means I love you, all right? So I'm gonna push on you a little bit. Uh, I'm hoping I make you uncomfortable. That's the way I feel most comfortable. So I want you to be convicted this morning about something that many of us realize, and that is this. We make value-based or outcome-based decisions when considering God's call on our lives. I hope that says, ow. We evaluate, God has called me, and then it comes the evaluation time. 
What's that going to look like? Let me do a, let me do a little spreadsheet on pros and cons. Let me see uh, what outcome is going to come from it. What's going to benefit? Uh, is it going to be productive? I'm going to spend X dollars, and what, what am I going to get out of it? This many years, this many months, what's going to come of it? Is it going to be productive? Is it going to be productive for the kingdom? I hate that one because it sounds so holy. Is it going to be productive for the kingdom? Who cares? Did God call you on it or not? We start making value-based and outcome-based decisions on God to judge whether he is right or not. We're tempted to use this as an excuse, as an analytical device of determination to whether or not God is logical and wise. Because it's not profitable enough for us. We have a better way to do it. So we're tempted to look at God's greatness and his glory as something we can run through a calculation or do a differential diagnosis of to say, hey, I think I got a better way. Should I respond to his call? I don't know. Let me run it through my grid. I think I ought to say that again. We're tempted to look at God's greatness and his glory as something we can run through a calculation or through a differential diagnosis of how we should respond or if we should respond at all at his call. Because he wasn't wise enough and logical enough for, for the decision. Are you all there? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of an owl. The other side of the effort always looks different. So how are we supposed to consider an after-action report? What type, of, what type of matrix are you going to use to evaluate on the other side whether your choice was worth it or not? You do that? I know you do. What are the parameters that you're going to use in this analysis to say is it worth it or not? Such a range of realities that you could that you could judge by. You know, is it worth it or not? Life, death, health, wealth, success, failure, fame, anonymity. Does anybody know what happened? Salvations, that's a holy one. Churches planted, that's a holy one. Are they correct though? Do you stand by and judge God and say, well, you didn't do this right? So you can't appropriately judge your worth it proposition with the potential results even. It doesn't matter about the results. It matters about the obedience and the faith that that obedience grew within you. That's what we're going to look at today. This is the real question. Are you basing your decision of whether to believe God and answer his call on your life based on the perceived results that said proposition that God gave you may bring about? Or are you waiting for a better answer? That's the real question. So how are you going to make that decision? Let's look at the passage and let's see if God informs us of this, right? He says this, verse 1, chapter 11 of Hebrews, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Point one, faith is a present act independent of an expected future result. Many different definitions of faith. This is what I see here. Present act, independent of an expected future result. Very simply said, if you're completely assured of something and convicted that it's necessary, then you will act 
with assurance and with conviction. Because you have faith in it. And that faith actuates you. It empowers you. It compels you. So therefore, the positive result is irrelevant to your action. Who cares if it's successful? You did it in faith. Who cares if it's timely? You're dealing with an eternal God. So what does timely even mean? A positive result is irrelevant to your actions because your faith itself is the positive result. Once you get that. The positive result is irrelevant to your action because your faith itself is that positive result. That's what he says in this passage. Go on to verse 2. It says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. He says, in, in, the Greek says, in toto, in this, in this, meaning in, the, in that faith, in the development and the practice of the faith, that was both the reason and result of the reactions. Do you get that? Both the reason and the result. From faith unto faith. For the purpose of faith. Because by the faith, resulting in faith. That was the purpose. Faith is what caused them to act. Faith was the consequence of the act. Now, the, the, the translation says uh, they get their commendation. The word commendation, um, it means, it, it, the Greek word is martyrio. Martyrio is the word, uh, we, we end up getting the word martyr, but it comes from the word to witness. So it says they get their, their testimony. They are called into testimony by their faith. So the benefit, the purpose of their, their action that was caused by faith is to proclaim the source of that faith. That was the purpose, to then further inspire and compel other people to also act in faith. Faith into faith. That's why they're commended by faith and through faith. They're from, from the beginning to the end, it's always faith. Therefore, your actions don't matter. Well, I'm not able to. Well, hallelujah, you're not. Duh. You know, $2.50 worth of carbon sitting here. I have nothing. No, you're not able to. So the benefit they received was simply the opportunity to proclaim their faith. And that's it. That is their commendation. Not a legacy, not a positive cost-benefit analysis. The opportunity to share their faith. The opportunity to claim and proclaim Jesus as Lord, Savior, Redeemer, everything. That is their compensation. Run that in a cost-benefit analysis. So point one. Faith is the present act independent of an expected future result. Point two, faith is brought to completion by the faith of future believers. I love this. This is incredible in verse 39. Um, as we consider the rest of the passage, he says in verse 39, and all these, though commended, there's our word again, though commended, martyrio, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. You get that, Right? They did what they were called to do, but they didn't get the promise. God didn't break the promise. He had something better. That's what it says. They didn't receive anything out of it. Since God had provided something better for us thousands of years later, they didn't get to see it. And catch this, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Apart from the faith that traveled through the centuries, 
they would not be made perfect. They would not be complete. If that legacy of faith, not the legacy of their name, but the legacy of faith, the legacy of their, of their, of their um, proclamation, of their testimony, if that did not survive, then they would have been incomplete. That's what he says here. So their actions, your actions, do not necessarily re- involve receiving any of the promise. Not then, not today, not in the future. The promise doesn't belong to you. There's an eternal promise, but not a physical promise. So we can't do a cost-benefit analysis. Your faith is only complete when somewhere, sometime in the future, somebody act in faith in response to the gospel. And that completes you. You don't know it. You don't know them. It's generational. I don't know. I mean, I don't know any of you guys, save my family, uh, Laura, um, leadership. I mean, some of you guys I've met in the last year or so. But you guys, I want you to, it's hard for me to voice this. The completion of faith that started 20 years ago in a little house, Gary Sharice, you guys, You guys have, are, are part of the completion of that faith. To me, it's beautiful. But that's my story. It's not yours. You can't stop at my story. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. You can't live on the completion of my faith. You must be compelled to start it again. You must be inspired to go and do the same thing again because you have a testimony to tell. I'm jealous for your faith to be completed by multiple iterations of more people giving their life to Christ and being impacted, not by ICC, but by Jesus Christ and his redemption. See, in in this picture in verse 40, when it says... Apart from us, they would not be completed. It gives us a picture of continuity and unity within the body of Christ through the generations, through the millennia. My salvation is part of the continuity of faith that started thousands of years ago in unity with the message that Paul gave, with the message that Barnabas sacrificed himself for. And in unity, I get to walk with them. And you too. It says, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So it's incredible that, this, that God had this kingdom purpose in mind, and so he calls us to the same thing, to a kingdom purpose, not personal glory, not personal benefit. Therefore, we can't make those analyses. We just have to say, uh-huh, yes. I'll do that. You need to be like a Labrador retriever. Maybe you'll pet me. I love labs. I mean, you can do anything you want. To. I mean, they just love. You ask them to do something, they do it. And they chew your house apart also in the process. But they're wonderful. So this is me pushing you. This is me loving on you. What I'm saying is that it is worth it regardless of any future benefit that you could possibly have. 
it's worth it regardless because the practice of faith is the benefit. You know, right after this passage in chapter 11, he goes on and says, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Why do you think he says that? What makes the cloud? That cloud of witnesses is caused by your continued faith. And it continues to build this cloud because the continuity of faith that we have that goes for thousands of years, pre-Christ, people looking forward to the Messiah that would come, the time of Christ saying, that is the Messiah, behold, it's him, post-Christ saying, that is my Lord and Savior, and he died, and he was resurrected. All continuity of faith, forming this wonderful cloud of witnesses so that we all coalesce together around one person, around one plan, around one kingdom. And it's not about you. So it really makes it easy. Now, we get to Barnabas, right? There's the exposition. Now let me go to like a, 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 bi, a, a biography or something for Barnabas. I want us to consider my personal hero, right? He's my personal hero of faith. His name's Barnabas. Um, we don't have time to do a full analysis of Barney, uh, but I want you to be inspired by his passion. I want you to understand what he did. Because not a lot is written about him. Anybody know how he died? Anybody know how Barnabas died? Good, because that means that none of y'all are liars. Because we don't know how, how he died. We know nothing about the guy. He died. That's how he died. He died. He stopped breathing. His heart stopped. They put him in the ground. Something, I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what happened to him. Because he died in obscurity. In anonymity, Barnabas died. But I want you to hear his passion and be compelled into action by his choices. Here's how we meet Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, verses 36, 37. His name was actually Joseph. His nickname was Barnabas. All right. It says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All the money, he sold it in Cyprus, brought all the money, gave it to the apostles, walked away from it. It's funny because the more known story happens right after that, Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody knows Ananias and Sapphira, right? right? You know why Ananias and Sapphira happened? Because they were jealous of Barnabas. Because he gave everything. And Barnabas didn't want the praise. They gave a portion because of the praise. Everybody knows that, that story. But this is what Barnabas does. He was willing to sell his land and leave his land for the cause of the gospel. He didn't want anything back from it. He sacrificed his wealth because money had no hold on him. He was free. He was free. Why? Because he trusted God, not money, to take care of his future. He was laying up treasures in heaven, not on earth. He didn't care about the, he didn't need to worry about the moth and the dust corrupting. We move forward several chapters later in chapter 9, verse 27. We see him adopt Paul, who was then known as Saul. And he risks his reputation. He takes Paul into Jerusalem. Nobody wanted to talk to him. <laughs> Could you imagine walking around with a guy who'd killed a whole bunch of Christians and you're saying, hey, let's go to church. There's good hunting over there. Uh, here he is representing the murderer of, of Christians. He sacrifices money. And now he's sacrificing his reputation because his reputation had no value to him. Because he's free. Moving forward, Acts chapter 13. 
Verse two, he'd now been teaching. He's now in Antioch where they were first called Christians. He's teaching. He's seeing a whole bunch of people come to Christ. He's training people. He's training Paul. Doing great. But then God calls him to missionary service. That's what it says in Acts chapter 13, verse two. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, of, to the work, to, for the work to which I have called them. Now, who did, who did God call out? This is where y'all actually respond. It gives me an indication that y'all are still awake there. All right. Who did God call out? Right, Barnabas and Saul. Do you, usually we don't respond with that order. Usually we think Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because later that's the way they're represented. But right here, it's Barnabas and Saul. The order that, that Luke gave, it's the same every time up until this point, and for the next couple chapters, it's the same. Luke puts them as Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul. Why? Because the Greek works that way, that the most important person goes first. Barnabas and Saul. Why? Because Barnabas was more important. Barnabas was the trainer. Paul was not. He was the learner. You'll find the same order used until Acts chapter 13, verse 46. And then Luke changes the order and never goes back to that order again, and it becomes Paul and Barnabas. It goes back, to, it stays at Paul and Barnabas. Six more times after chapter 13, he uses that, that, uh, that order, Paul in the position of importance, Barnabas in, in the position of submission. Because Why? Barnabas recognized that Paul was going to be the ultimate leader. He didn't argue it. He didn't fight it. He said, hallelujah, Paul, you go on, you lead, brother. Because that's the way Barnabas was. He wanted Paul to, he wanted to develop Paul. So he sacrifices money. He sacrifices reputation. He sacrifices power. He sacrifices position. He sacrifices pride. Why? Because none of them had any value to him. He's free. Because he's just listening to the Lord. We move forward to Acts chapter 15. We see that here there's an argument between Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on their next missions, missions trip. And Paul said, he's a weenie because he had to go back to his mama in the middle of the trip last time. And when we were in Pamphylia, don't you remember? We stopped for drinks at the quick trip and boy went home. I'm not going to work with him. He was a quitter. He walked off the field. Don't want him anymore. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 15, 37 to 40 says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them uh, when in Pamphylia and had not gone with them for the rest of the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, Barnabas had invested in Paul, but he didn't try to stay above Paul. He gave Paul a runway and said, I've given you all I can. You're going to do this better than me if I will just leave you alone. Be blessed. He didn't try to stake out his authority. He desired that Paul would actually do better than him. Here's the failure that we have. We develop people only to a point. We put a ceiling above them and say, I want to develop you, I want to develop you, I want to develop you, but you better stay below me because I'm the one above you. We do this really bad in the church. 
We develop, we develop, we develop, they grow, and we go, get back down because you ain't ready yet, and this is my pulpit, by the way. Instead of blessing them and saying, you are, you're going to be, you're going to knock the top off, and that's exactly what I want. That's Barnabas. So Barnabas takes Mark with him, even though Paul refused to even associate with Mark. Barnabas sacrifices money. He sacrificed his reputation. He sacrificed his power, position, pride. And now he sacrificed his time because he had to start all over again with John Mark. Why was he able to do this? Because none of those things held any value to him. He was free because he was just listening to the Lord. So here's the point. We don't know much about Barnabas. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know anything about Barnabas. Here's what we know, though. Without Barnabas, there is no Paul. Without Barnabas, there is no John Mark. Without Barnabas, there is no New Testament. All the Pauline epistles, gone. The first gospel, gone. Because of a man who disappeared into anonymity. Because he just wanted to do what God called him to do. And let the people that were better than him perform on the field that God had provided. What a sacrifice. By the way, here's, here's my last text of the day. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Here's what Paul says. This is what Paul tells Timothy. You ready? Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in the ministry. What happened between... I'm not going to take him and bring him because he's good for my ministry. What happened to him? Barnabas. That's what happened to him. How did Mark go from that? From one to the other? I don't want him. Barnabas practiced a radical faith for an unknown physical future. And we benefit Bible's birth, Paul was birthed, Mark grew. He was able to do this because he placed his yes on the table before God ever even propositioned him with a question. The yes was already there. He didn't have to think about it, he didn't have to pray about it. Let me help you out here. God says, I want you to go to. Mm. My response. Okay, let me pray about that. Are you kidding me? Who are you going to pray to if God tells you to do something? <laughs> I'm looking around the room. This may not work. I've got kids. There's several of them over there. If I tell them to do something and they look at me and they say, let me pray about that. It's time for inspiration to come and exercise on them. <laughs> Who are they going to ask that has more authority than me? If God calls you to do something, who exactly are you praying to to convince God that he was wrong? Put your yes on the table. Answer him. You don't have to delay whenever he tells you to do something. Barnabas was able to do this because the propagation of the faith was the reward for his faith. All he had to do was exercise said faith. 
He saw this infinite reality of the eternal value based on the faith that Jesus Christ had offered to him. It's far better reward than we could ever have with a physical future. And he saw the value in that eternal future. And so that's all that mattered to him. So he was free from the constraints of physicality. He was free from the evaluation of is it going to be worth it? He was free from having to make any sort of calculation. If this is going to cost me this much. This is going to cost me that much. Yes, Scripture says you need to make sure that you evaluate the cost. But it's in your heart. I'm terrified of the no to God. Why would I ever say no? My expectation of God, the first no would be me dying. Why would I want to say no? Am I actually safer in my own choices than within the kingdom of God and what he has planned? How absurd, how arrogant would that be? I have one story. Um, and Barrett said, hey, you got to have some stories. I'm like, I know. Um, worth it. I'm just, just going to one. Uh, I, I think I can get through this. Um, I'm looking through the crowd. I only see one Indian brother, I believe. Um, I, I get to do a lot of wonderful work in India. We've trained in the last six years um, about 620 or so church planters. They've planted over 3,000 churches. It's incredible what has happened and how they've grown. And uh, right, bef- right before COVID, um, one of my guys sent me a, um, a video. Um, I don't know if it's still up on the, on the net or not. I don't really know. But it was one of my, one of my planters even not my planters, he's one of God's planters. I happen to train him. Um, he's on a street, and um, he's surrounded by these guys that are beating him with chunks of concrete and cinder blocks with a policeman right in, the, in view of the video. Uh, and they killed him on the street. And it was all filmed. And they posted it because they were proud. And uh, probably two years later, I, got, I was back in that area. And I got to see his wife. And uh, we were crying and I was weeping. And I didn't know what to say exactly to her. I don't speak, speak Telugu. And I was trying to get something through to through the translator, and she hit me. And she said, "Don't you dare Don't you dare diminish his faith by weeping over his death. Was it worth it?" Of course it was worth it. I've been chastised by friends. There's somebody out on y'all's board 
He said, if, uh, don't you ever weep over my grave. There's a consistent understanding of the people that were called to the faith that says it's always going to be worth it. Be inspired by God's word. Be inspired by what he says. Don't do a cost analysis. Just say yes, be compelled because I promise you the faith equation will always work out to your benefit. It will always work out to your benefit. Be inspired by the call of the Lord. Be compelled into actions of faith for his service. You will always win in that sort of matrix. Let's pray. God, you're an incredible God. There's nothing that we can offer you that has any eternal value beyond what you have provided us. There's nothing we can do that in itself would ever promote your glory except for using our faith that you even provide. God, I pray you will humble us by calling us that you will persecute us to put that yes on the table before you ask the question. God, I pray that you will show us how easy a life free from concerns of physicality, how easy that life is. Help expand our understanding of your worth and your glory so that we can make investment in that type of a future instead of the piddliness of our own existence. God, I pray that as, as we're in this room where I know we're talking about serving you and the opportunities that we have both here in Memphis and abroad, that we'd be so laser-focused on what your desire is for our life that we would see completion of our faith in just simple obedience. God, I know, I know that that is where home is. God, I pray as a community of faith, this body of believers will be so drawn to your kingdom, will be so drawn to your calling, will be so drawn to your glory, your greatness, and your goodness. that they will be compelled to continue to write that story, to continue to expand that great cloud of witnesses. To sacrifice their money, their reputation, their pride, their power, their position, their time, because there's something of such infinite value in you and just in obedience and faith growing upon faith. I'm humbled by your choice to use such a people and such a person. I praise you and glorify you for you are worthy. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.